Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Innovation Chatter Club. I know, I know, it's been a while, been busy. This is a good episode though, you're going to love it. We are going to be speaking with three people who are experts on youth, youth, young people, the up and coming generation, millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, anyway. Pretty much every organization is trying to understand how do we serve the next generation? How do we serve people that look and feel and behave and act completely differently to us stodgy old people at the top of the house? So I found some great people to tell us all about that. One of them's a former colleague of mine. She's called Rosie Baker. She runs an awesome agency called Living Proof with her colleague, Winnie, who also joins us on this chat. Bringing the North America representation is my friend, Matt Sobolski. He says he's an expert on the metaverse, debatable. Is anybody really an expert on the metaverse? But I joke, Matt's awesome and he knows a lot about the space. This is a great chat. I'm very excited for you to join us and I will stop waffling on and get right into it. Enjoy. Mean fishing, fishing, farming, baking, painting, bit of research, bit of consulting. Um, those would be my main professions. I'll leave it there. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell me about the fishing. Minus 20 in the Arctic. Um, I was on the boat. <laughs> I was in charge of the boat. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> no. Um, no. <laughs> what about the boat were you in charge of? It was a small boat. It was a small boat. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was with divers and they were diving for delicious um, soft shell, all sorts of different, I was about to call them seashells, that's not what they are. Um, seafood in shell form. <laughs> seafood in shell form. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, doing that in the 24 hours dark is a good life experience, I think, for anybody. How the hell did you end up doing that? Just hanging out with people. <laughs> um, I was doing some food farming in Devon and then the chef I was with knew this diver um, who was also linked to um, chefs in Norway. So I just kind of went there and it was, that was when it's 24 hours light and they had a food festival on and we all had to forage and cook and do this stuff in the Arctic. And then I just went back for a while. Oh, totally normal. Yeah, well, that's very cool. You're not interesting at all. <laughs> Blush. Yeah, so just, this is it. I'm off to Lisbon next month, see what happens over there, um, taking the business and just figure it out, basically. Sweet. How's your Portuguese? Zero. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. Um, yeah, I know that there's delicious things waiting. So that's that's about it. That's what I get up to. Cool. Sounds like I'm good just more, but sounds like good for now. <laughs> <laughs> we can go deep on this, then we'll, we'll end up with no podcast. So. <laughs> all right um all right i'll thank you all three of you for doing this i really appreciate that you'll come talk crap with me for a little bit um i wanted to talk about youth culture and that saying just saying the phrase youth culture makes me sound like a bit of an old man um but for the entire time i have done what i do big companies go well we need to understand the next generation what do millennials want what does gen z want what does the generation alpha that comes after that one, which is a really interesting question. Um, 
Tell me about what you do in that world, Rosie, Winnie. Yeah, all right. So um, we help brands um, build products and experiences for young people by um, employing young people as their collaborators. So um, what that means in practice is that we have we research and test basically um, and we recruit we have a big community ever-growing community of young people that we recruit from and Winnie can tell you all about our many wonderful very surprising young people who actually we're just in awe of really I spend yeah so our projects run um, by us creating safe spaces for clients who on one hand typically have like a bunch of assumptions or data or conflicting data that they've read about uh, Gen Z and then we bring them face to face with a bunch of their potential target customers um, and also some curveballs because that's where the best stuff comes out um, and we just have really real conversations and coming from the background that we come from which is all around you know innovation consulting and design things design thinking um, it's very structured and it drives very specific outcomes um, through those magic meetings. So we're actually the bridge, really, um, between these two generations. Winnie, what would you yeah. like to add? Um, I think you've summed it up pretty well. Um, I think the goal for us is whenever we've worked with a client, you shouldn't come out talking about Gen Z as a monolith. You should come out talking about individual young people that you've met. So when I met Abby, I learned this about her life and this is what it means for the product or experience we need to design. And so young people become uh, less of this kind of abstract amorphous cloud of like, as Rose said, conflicting data. And because there are conflicting kind of ideals and values and beliefs, and it becomes real concrete young people that you can then build a proposition around. And that's peace of mind, because you know that you're building something that has a real kind of connection and cut through um, but also it's, um, we like to think of ourselves a little bit like corporate therapists people are scared of young people you get older and you're you are afraid of kind of all of these things that are within that generation their beliefs around you and can I collaborate with them and as Rose said we become that bridge where we support each other. honest authentic interactions um, really work together and collaborate together and the young people are experts in that space to they're the experts on their lived experience you are the expert on your company your values your products and then we are the expert on the tools to kind of weave it all together to get us all to the outcome that we need to get to mm -hmm. yeah and and no worries our young people are uh, yeah they're just a brutal <laughs> they are brutal um and so it's all just about like getting to the truth as quickly as we possibly can um in that safe environment so yeah that's us I feel like 10 years ago, people used to be like, oh, yeah, young people, like, I remember, like, doing a lot of work with banks, and they'd be like, if only we could get them to have less avocado toast, we could solve their financial future. And now it's just become, like, a bit of a parody. Um, that was always uh, the criticism against millennials. Yeah. Make, your coffee at, make your coffee at home and don't, don't uh, buy avocado toast. And now, like, it's... I was had a client the other day, and I won't, I won't shame them, but they were like, "We need to do a campaign for the young people because they're always on the socials, like the TikTok." And it's like, 
yeah sure tiktok's about loading people on it but like they literally they don't spend their day just doom scrolling tiktok on their phone like but it also shows that they just don't know who the hell they're talking about like mm -hmm. they don't there's no first name relationship there's no like there's no context any of that it's just a bunch of assumptions isn't it yeah a complete disconnection from their lived experience and how they've been sh shaped by i think there's like a there's a and you saw this with millennials and it's continued with, with gen z older generations sometimes feeling uh almost like a lack of sympathy <laughs> for what young people have faced but like you've got a generation who have grown up between two financial crises right there there was a 2008 crash when they were very young uh some of them had yet to be born yet and then you've got like this kind of financial crisis as well that we've had uh due to covid and that has shaped their entire kind of existence and how they relate to money how they relate to feelings of security and that can be like deeply deeply like affecting into your soul and how you view the world and we see that every time we work with young people so when you were talking about money it's so interesting because we've done a project bank and what came out was all of these young people whether you are earning um sixty thousand pounds at 22 years old or you're just scraping by and you're doing cash in hand jobs all of them are really, really anxious about money and feeling behind, right? There is no um, demographic within that, within kind of, yeah, that new generation who aren't affected by that sense of like anxiety and insecurity. And like it affects everything that they do, it affects their purchasing decisions, it affects how they kind of bank it, it's all of it. Um, and so, yeah, I, if I could, if I could will one thing, it'd be a little bit, a little bit more love and sympathy <laughs> for the younger generation for sure. It's kind of interesting, like the old people were young once, like that is a very obvious thing to say, but it's almost like people forget that when you're 50 and you're a VP in a company, that like, I always like digging it down to like, when you talk to a client, like you want to, you want to get to know what they did when they were younger and they have the most amazing stories. It's like, that is so opposite to who you are right now. But like, if. Mm -hmm. If you thought about 20 year old you, okay, the technology wasn't the same, the cultural relevance wasn't the same, but like the way you saw the world was probably pretty similar to how other people might see the world today. But like that just gets lost. It's really weird. Like Matt, like you do a load of work like installing um like the systems and the processes and the tools that companies need to innovate. Do you find that like how have you found that when it comes to youth? Because I know we talked about this sort of a thing a few months ago yeah i think i mean when you talk about banks like it seems like they're always thinking about it because there's always like a wealth transfer there's always people coming up and earning money and spending money and wanting to spend money and wanting to buy things and understand how the financial system works i feel like banks always have like that next young generation kind of on their mind um and yeah, I think, I think there's like a running joke, like how many once in a lifetime events have happened to Gen Z and millennials? <laughs> like when he talked about like the financial crisis um, in 08, obviously like there's COVID and a ton of repercussions from that. There's like the current awful, horrible situation going on with Russia and Ukraine. Um, and, you know, I think understand, like the work that Rosie and Winnie do is really, really cool because it's, it's like putting a face to this generation. Um, whereas like, and, and going about it and understanding it at, in an individual way is much better 
then trying to like paint this broad brush and trying to understand like, okay, there's a huge wealth transfer coming. Like how can we capitalize on this? But I think you'll just get way better actionable insights when you focus on the individual journey. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> there's so like I was one article came up for me yesterday and it's all about like and I think I think this might be a cliche already, but it's I think it was on the BBC, but it's like how young people have eco-anxiety and how like the young generations today are like the most anxious generations that we've had in history. Is there some truth to that or is it bollocks? I think there's the truth. Yeah, no, this is this is interesting. Like uh and sustainability is such a such a huge thing for this generation. Um, and I think like there is I don't know, maybe because we as a culture broadly and politically like don't have the will to solve the climate crisis, like it gets dismissed, but you've got a generation of young people who are aware that they will be life to see and feel the impact of like our inaction. So I do think it comes out in lots of ways, right? We saw it with um, the climate strikes that that uh, came about um, that were global, right? We've, we've seen it certainly with lots of activism coming um, around climate from that generation. I will say though, right? Young people feel strongly about climate, but also like, they really want speed and access. And this is what we talk about often in our in our companies, like the fault lines in this generation. So we see the rise of um, secondhand clothing, uh, vintage clothing, clothing reselling, Depop is doing huge numbers, right? But you also see the rise of like a pretty little thing um, mm -hmm. or an ASOS, right? And fast fashion, like growing and growing at the same time. And both of those, uh, of those are growing within the same, um, within that same generation so like it's not a it's not a clean uh it's not it's not a clean answer basically and it's not something that you can say of of the the cohort as a whole um and they're able to hold these different competing desires and views within themselves and shop accordingly as well it's interesting that you, could, you couldn't do the if you're in the middle you've lost that group but like you either have to be like fast live fashion brand that can get something cheap into the like hands of young people or you have to be like the other side of it which is more like recycling upcycling vintage if you're in the middle you might not do very well you say that but pretty little thing for example are launching a resale website mm. we will see how that goes but that's a brand who have built their um built themselves up as a fast fashion brand cheap accessible right you want an outfit for less than 20 pounds you can get it but they're also aware that their customers are worried about kind of uh waste and uh and sustainability and so they're building a resale website i'm not sure how that's going to work <laughs> but there are companies who are trying to do both and maybe maybe it's that you have to kind of sit at both ends rather than sit in the middle rose i don't know if you have anything mm -hmm. else to add yeah, I was thinking about money again um, and how like a couple of the conversations with banks that we're having are around that um, article that you pulled out, Ian, around like, oh, they're eco-anxious, so that means they must want all of these sustainable features in the products, their money products. And actually, like, um, that's just not true. <laughs> it's just not true because ultimately, like, 
all the young people we've spoken to, like, because they grew up and uh, watching everybody else have a shit time, basically, they want stability. They want predictability. Like, they don't want to jump around job to job. They don't want to be an entrepreneur and, like, a side hustler and, like, sold a big dream. What they want is, like, to know how they can make, how they can get into a lane which is going to be fruitful, um, stick there for a couple of years, get their assets. Like, they're just super asset hungry. Um, because they don't want to be on this hamster wheel and paying off debt until they're 40, like millennials are, and they think it's a joke. So um, it, they're anxious to a point, I would say. I'd say they're super practical and really deliberate and very realistic, actually, and they're just aware. And like, if that's an older person who's writing about these young people being anxious, then that's just their perception of them and probably like... Yeah, I don't know how much truth it's actually based on. They're just expressing things which maybe that person can't express well. Don't know. I imagine it differs at the top end of Gen Z. Maybe it's true. Maybe the bottom end of Gen Z, it's not true. I don't know. Like when you talk about like, don't think of generations as a monolith. Like some of people refer to like millennials, and you're like, I've got mates who are like forty, and they're millennials. <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. of them as millennials. <laughs> it's kind of like a weird thing to. I don't know. But defining it by the years you were born in isn't always necessarily the best way to go about it, but it's an easy thing to put on a PowerPoint slide. 100%. Matt, what are you going to say? Yeah, I was just like super curious what you guys have found because you mentioned like side, like hustle and like there's so many articles out there like from, you know, Bloomberg and, and Business Insider, like Gen Z is, is known as like the the hustle culture generation, the side hustle generation, like in your experience, have you found that to just not be true? Or is it actually true, but it's in a way to drive towards that financial stability? And they'll just kind of like do as much as they can whenever they can to continually save um, to, to be more financially secure. Yeah, look, they're saving from the age of 13. Like, and when I say they, a lot of the young people we've researched with and have done research with and their younger brothers and sisters and stuff like they are saving they are also like investing um they see like risk is a very different thing winnie do you want to come in and talk about how they see risk i don't want to tee you up if you don't want to (laughs) oh no you keep going I'm, i'm not sure what you're yeah keep going just like um how having like an isa with basically zero percent is meant to be like a stable thing but if it's not going to get you anywhere like nobody's using them um and well not many young people are using them unless they've got a parent who's like whatever enforcing it whereas like crypto actually they know it's a risk but it's a much more attractive risk because there is some gain which will lead to some stability Mm. so it's it's to the end of being financially stable and that differs for everyone um for sure there's different lines but you know the hustle culture is actually the opposite of everything that we've heard that people believe is a good life um and you know like in japan like there's the lying flat uh, Mm. you know it's just like it's actually like two fingers up um to hustle culture and it's like not playing into that and there will be yeah it's to an end it's not a relentless drive is what i'd say yeah um just to build on what you're saying there rose i think for and this is where people often talk about millennials and gen z as if they're kind of one continuous generation but like i think as a millennial um 
we certainly as a as a cohort um when we were more likely to buy into the hype of hustle culture the idea that if you worked very hard across um across you know maybe doing your your full-time job and then monetize your your passions on the side you'd be able to kind of build a good life and there was no interrogation of what was underlying that whereas gen z are, as a cohort are much more likely to be like hey that's nonsense right that's the system failing i should not have to do all these things to live a good life and be able to pay my bills and clothe myself and eat and so as rosie said it's, it is much more of a, a means to an end and an awareness of kind of the policy failures that underlie that than um than a kind of i don't know sheryl sandberg le leaning cult yeah yeah. 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 yeah 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 and like a lot of the assets that they talk about wanting like yeah sure it's a house um and yeah they want it in their early 20s which is like again a different narrative to even our age group um, but also it's like buying, I mean, Winnie, you can talk much about this, but like all the designer handbags and things like that, because it's like, then I've got that as an asset and then I can sell it. So like, it's not just hustling by working harder. It's by it's yeah. What assets can you acquire and then keep and then sell and how quickly can you do that? Yeah. Like it's like what they consider as investments, like they're almost like usable investments. And yeah. I think it's like quite interesting because some of them like you can use these things and take really good care of them and and get most of your money back later whether it's handbags or, or whatever and then there's kind of like assets that you can buy store not use but but have in your house and and previous generations was probably more like art but they would be like sneakers and stuff like that and that have a like huge 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 resale value and, and actually like continually gain value and then i think like you know, the next step is, is really like, and I'm sure you guys have had some really interesting conversations around like NFTs and crypto and all that kind of stuff. Um, cause those are assets there. There's a ton of risk around them, but there's a utility and a community that comes around with some of those things as well. Right. And this is go jumping in. No, go on. No, I was going to say that this is where I think what crypto does really well and what the brands in general do, do through with Gen Z do really well is dissolve that barrier and build community around a product or, or, or a set of values rather than selling you something right so you're seeing this a lot in crypto for example I'm sure you can speak more to this um, around kind of like yeah the, the even in some of the, the the lanes that have been created for women and like women women created cooperatives and and, and and crypto assets like there are ways in which you can find community and be and feel seen and identify in those spaces and the brands who are able to build community with their gen z customer are the ones who yeah we're seeing skyrocketing the crypto thing is interesting for me like there's a company here called well simple and like the clue in the name, it was all about like they were designed for millennials. It was all about keeping wealth actually simple. So just put your money in this EFT, leave it alone and it will grow and you can worry about other stuff in your life. They were doing pretty well. And then like crypto came along and suddenly like they went all in on like crypto. So you can buy all sorts of weird and wonderful coins and I'll try and not be too cynical, but I, <laughs> I look at it as like a, you'd be an idiot to do that. But their growth went from they turbocharged their growth during the pandemic because it was all about like, we're like doing um, 
share trading, we're doing crypto trading. And like that brought in a whole new generation of customers that I find it like a massive turnoff, but because I'm probably just because I don't understand it. Like I won't go down the whole Douglas Adams quote, but like, I just don't understand crypto. And like NFTs, I look at it and I roll my eyes. And when Matt puts a post on LinkedIn, I'm like, I'm sure that's smart, but like, I don't know. I don't get it. It must be dumb. Um, I was, I was like similar to you Ian. like when crypto was really uh, like getting big in like that, like 2014, 2015, like, I, I'm not sure if I didn't get it or if it was just like too much, like, like finance. And it was like, well, I don't really like finance. So why would I like this? This is just like a different version of what's already out there. Um, like trading, trading currencies or, or whatever. Obviously that's not true. There, there's a lot of differences and, and so many people of all different generations, probably more Gen X and, and boomers than actually many others who, who really made big investments and really made a lot of money. But it was NFTs for me that actually like made the bridge and, and started like making some of those cryptocurrencies like valuable, like previous to NFTs, like what, what, would, what did you use Ethereum for? Like nothing. What did you use Solana for? Like nothing. Like what, what were you like actually using all these different currencies for? And like the different like tokenizations and tokens and stuff like, and the communities that are now built around them using NFT as, as that kind of like main vehicle. Um, that's like been, been the rabbit hole or the, the string that's kind of brought it all together for me. And that's why I'm so involved in the space now. Um, so I think, I think it's really, really interesting. Ian, does that yeah. make any sense to you? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like I, I have some Bitcoin and I have some Ethereum, but I look at like an NFT, I'm like, but I just don't know what it's worth. Like I, I genuinely look at it and go like, that can't be of any value. Now, I'm not saying I'm right. I actually probably think I'm wrong, but I'll like step back a moment. But it's like, there are genuinely authentic communities that have been stood up around crypto and NFTs. and if people are willing to put that much of their time and their lives into it, there must be something of value there. Oh, I'll do one um, 30 second plug or pitch for, for NFTs and how I view them. And, and it's really like a triangle. So on the, on one side you have art, on one side you have utility and one side you have community. So art is like, just what does that look like? And there's so many different artists of all different generations, like taking advantage of NFTs and making like continual revenue based on their sales and music is starting to go into that really, really heavily. And so it's really, really cool to see individual artists be empowered. Um, and, and so you have the art, it's like, is that thing that you're looking at, like, is that cool to you or is that, you know, attractive to you? And then you've got the community aspect, which like, if you own that thing, what type of community do you get into? So, you know, if you own, um, a board ape yacht club like you're in a club with celebrities from all over the world and you have access to that community and access to that chat and access to those events and access to all those different things and then on the utility side all of these different successful nfts are basically companies and they put out roadmaps that talk to the utility of holding that specific nft and so if you read it's no different than kind of investing in in a company on the stock market you read their roadmap, you read their thesis, you read why they exist. And then you read all the different reasons that they're saying are benefits for being a part of that community and holding that NFT. And if that is attractive to you, you know, it's like real world, um, benefits and 
access and all these different things to being a part of that community. So that's my quick overview. It was more than 30 seconds, but it was pretty good. <laughs> Compelling. And so, um, like, Nas just um, released his first albums, right? Which sold out in record time. Because, of course, like, as a punter, if you can own a bit of someone like Nas's album, why would you not want to, instead of Spotify or someone else owning all of it? It's just cutting out the middlemen. Yeah. And that's super, like, attractive to young people who are losing faith in institutions doing anything, actually, which is for them. Yeah, is that a new thing? Not, not only cutting out the middleman, but he now has this like really unique way to reward this group of people and engage with this group of people like never before. Is that a new yeah, thing? The question, and I don't think, it, I think it's a new thing to, for a generation to feel uh, marginalized by institutions or power structures. But this is the first generation that is completely digitally native, right? So mm -hmm. they grew up with phones in their hands and on computers. And so building community in a digital space and around NFTs, around crypto, you've got um, you've got DAOs, for example, in, in that space as well. All of those things are just a new way of expressing like the desire to cut out the, the power structures, the institutions, the people who you feel are ignoring you and creating your own space where you are able to make decisions. So what does a brand do about it? Like, how does a brand avoid becoming that Steve Buscemi meme of what up fellow kids? <laughs> because like, at the end of the day, like so much of like large company marketing, very few brands get that right. When it's like, they, they know a new generation's coming along and then they like try so hard to be like, we're hip, we're cool. Ataka, taka, taka. And to well, like Ben. Go after that. All you have to bloody do is ask them and just hang out with them and get them to do it with them and for them. It's really as simple as that. Go on. I would say. Yeah. Hoops, okay. <laughs> Who does this well? Uh, all right, I'm going to start with the classic just because all of our young people are just forever dressed in them, but Nike. I knew you were going to say Nike. Yeah. I nearly said you're not allowed to say Nike. Yeah, <laughs> going straight in with the obvious. like, um, And that is building like dis digital, physical community and like really being listened to. And um, There's one. Winnie, do you want to... We were chatting about... Go on. Uh, Fenty. Yeah. Um, Fenty's really interesting to me, right? Um, Fenty Beauty, Rihanna's makeup brand. And they really revolutionized kind of the beauty industry in general, right? You had a company which came out as a celebrity makeup brand, which uh, often you'll see them like zoom, like they do really, really well, and then they fall off after a couple of years. I know this may not be your space, guys, but bear with me. And, <laughs> but what, you've got a company which is backed by LVMH, right? Very much like backed by like a yeah. big, like luxury conglomerate but feels like it's in community with its customers because it came along and represented women of all shades and brought out like 40 make uh, 40 foundation shades and that changed how um the hygiene level for what other beauty brands were expected to do now you've got to make sure that you have a foundation for every single customer within your um within your range and what was interesting about that for me was that young people, especially makeup influencers on TikTok and YouTube, 
were then challenging the, cus the companies even more, right? They said, okay, you've given me this foundation, but what about my bronzer? What about my eyeshadow? What about all of the other products in your um, arsenal? If I don't see myself represented across all of those product ranges, then I'm not interested in you. And the, the relationship between kind of customer and um, brand has changed. If that barrier doesn't feel like it's dissolved, if you don't have real relationships with real customers and understand what's going on, you will eventually be caught out because the young pe young people especially are very alive to when you what you're saying about your values and what's true of the products and the experiences that you're offering aren't aligning. Yeah, they can sniff bullshit in a second. Mm -hmm. And we know a bunch of stuff which they dislike. <laughs> a bunch of stuff which they're, they're not into. Like the classic, oh God, so many brands come to us with like this chatty fun language and memes and emojis. And it's like, no, no young person. If you're talking about something serious like money or their futures or something which is emotional, <laughs> just don't. They're, they're just, it's incongruent. Like, it doesn't work. And so this is actually, like, a bunch of the conversations that we have is is not who's doing it brilliantly. It's pointing out, um, yes, who's doing it well, but also, like, what is hated. And that's, like... A, stop doing it badly. <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's um, all of that belittling. And it's all that, like, cute, fluffy imagery, but then pairing that with, like, quite scary messaging. And it's about, like, the congruency and the truth. Um, and, like, adverts as being really jarring, like um olio they've just raised shed loads of money um and they're like the community um food waste sharing at global done amazingly absolutely amazingly but going back to the sustainability point like a bunch of our young people have been like well what's their recent adverts about like it's it looks like a bunch of kids standing on these trash mines in a very disadvantaged country like country and it's it's pulling on it's basically guilt tripping them and it's like none of it makes sense to what their original proposition is and you're just applying like a blanket brush um which you think is the motivation of why people use you and it's not right and then you've got the guilt tripping and then they don't want anything to do with you for a good amount of time and guilt tripping has only ever worked with privileged people like guilt tripping is actually quite effective with 45 50 year olds it's not very effective with people who are like fuck off i've not got that much money like i i know don't make me feel bad about it like yeah but it's also being taken the piss out of it's like your values are being taken the piss out of basically you're shoving them back in my face but you're doing it wrong mm -hmm. you've, right. misinter ultimately, you've misinterpreted them right and ultimately that's not where the power is you're blaming me for, for problems that feel systemic that are that really lie with companies and and, and corporations and governments that and then making individualizing those those uh those issues then no, I, you don't understand me. You don't understand my lived experience or how I, yeah, how I exist in the world. Matt, who do you think is doing it well? Wrong? <coughs> no, well, well, sure, well or wrong, it can go either way here. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like, there's, I just obviously have to agree with Rosie, like, Nike is, like, unbelievable. Like, they, they're always, like, on the top of their game. Like, when they bought, like, Artifact, like, that was just wild, like, like they're just so ahead of, of everybody else. Um, they have like you can even see just like if you engage in different posts on LinkedIn, like the type of roles that even exist at Nike. Like they have like a metaverse team and all, all this type of stuff. Um, so that's 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 one thing. But like with all of us being kind of in the innovation space and game like a mindset, like I, I do actually really have appreciation and sometimes sympathy for people that that just try to experiment. Um, and I think you have to do it in the right right way. Like 
to Rosie and Winnie's point, like not be disingenuous and not like go about it in the wrong way. But I, I do think about even like JP Morgan, like they have a bank in the metaverse. It's like shit, but like they have one, like yeah. at a certain point, someone at like a relatively senior level in that company was like, yeah, we're going to hire a studio and make a bank in the metaverse and there's going to be a tiger in it. <laughs> like, like it just like quite random. And like, like, is there like a tremendous amount of value for anyone in that right now? Like, no, but are they like innovating? Are they like putting their, their name in the hat or will that develop? Like probably yes. Like they'll, they'll figure it out and they're there and they're, they're at least in the conversation. Um, and I think like, that's quite cool for brands yeah i think there's the there's a um a trend towards building in public with your customer as well that's really cool like okay i may not get it right the first time but i'm iterating in front of you and young people especially are much more forgiving of that like i want to be on the journey with you as this thing grows and feel like i've seen it happen in front of me rather than you doing all of your innovation behind closed doors and then presenting me with the thing that's bright and shiny if it takes longer yeah. mm -hmm. exactly because they're not it's not like they're like oh it costs money or or anything to go you can just go to the bank like and there's there's a picture of of <laughs> you know people in there there's a tiger there's a staircase there's but they'll develop that they'll develop that and and it will be almost like in tandem with the community and with the technology as it evolves. I'm sure they've gotten so much feedback and criticism. And they have they have probably six years of roadmap based on just putting something out there. And and this is it. This is the people who are doing it well have that two way conversation. It's as simple as that. Like they're listening. They're doing shit and then they're listening, <laughs> and then they're changing what they're doing and they're doing yeah. it again. Like if you went back, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, Chase was trying to do like digital banks for millennials and they did multiple of them. Like some of them were like, one was called Finn and it, it was crap. But then they made another one that was like Chase Sapphire, which is all about like credit cards. And it was like giving New York and San Francisco types like really good travel reward credit cards that were metal. And the, the business case wasn't that massive in terms of customer acquisition. It like blew up because like they'd actually gone, someone had gone, in America, people like the feeling of throwing down a weighty credit card because Americans still haven't figured out chip and pin and tap. Like that was the insight. It was make a heavy metal credit card that had status for like for millennials, and it it grew like it grew so fast that they're like, well, that's now our digital banking platform, not Finn. Sorry, guys, we're shutting you down. But they have multiple bets, and I think like that sort of that metaverse bank might be a bit crap right now, but at least they're like out there understanding, engaging in it. Exactly. Um, I have another example that's like super old and I don't know what this looks like going forward, but like um, I think like brands that like just stick to what they do and like don't try actually, they just do, they, they are who they are and they don't try and be like this fake and authentic thing. So like, um, like Ryanair is a really interesting one because like hated by many young people used heavily by them. Mm -hmm. But like right now, like I know your biggest problem is like cheap travel. So we're going to give you a, the plane will get you from A to B ish. Um, B might be like a 90 kilometer coach journey from where you're actually going, but we'll get you close enough. <laughs> and yeah. it will not cost you very much money. If you want to cancel, you don't get any money back. If you want to sleep, well, no, because the plane's uncomfortable. If you like, we are not comfortable. We make your travel cheap. 
You care about that mm -hmm. more than your values. So shut up whining and get on our plane. Mm -hmm. But that's transparency, Ian, right? That's transparency. Yeah. And that is what your young customer wants more than anything else. Tell me what the opportunity cost is. Yes, I can get you halfway around the world for 20 pounds, but it's not going to be as comfortable. It's not going to be very comfortable. You'll have to pay extra for your baggage. You might have to travel an extra 15 kilometers to get to your hotel destination. But if you are transparent about that opportunity cost, young people especially will be far more forgiving of you than if you promise them the world and then aren't able to fulfill it. Like the gap mm -hmm. between how you present yourself and what you deliver, like that is a problem for lots and lots of brands, especially legacy brands who are trying to, yeah, young customers the same um the same experience that they gave to all the customers and i have to say speaking of ryanair i don't know if you've seen what they've been doing with their twitter account but like they oh, have been so engaging good. in some quite <laughs> risky posts around covid they know a noise of people right they're on the side of the majority but they're a part of conversation right and they're not afraid to have a point of view and brands that aren't afraid to have a point of view are going to win out over brands that um as you say so it's like to sit in the middle and not cause any upset. You've got to be able to stand behind something, have an identity in order to be seen, especially when there's so much competition in the space. Yeah, I, the other one that comes to mind is Brewdog because they used to stand, well, they still stand for a thing, but the thing that they stood for is like now quite alienating. And I think that the trap they're going to fall into is they're going to be like, no, no, oh, we're really sorry we upset you. We're going to correct things. It's like, actually, like, you're not beer for punks wasn't was quite cool in 2009 2022 not really that cool but like if you're then trying to be something that you're not i don't know sell yourself a heineken guys get out where you, where you still can it's as straight as that yeah <laughs> i don't know like it's one of those brands that like, i used to love and i now look at it, i'm like ew yeah it's the ick yeah <laughs> yeah um i got I gotta ask one one question to Winnie and Rosie. Why does Gen Z hate Harry Potter? I thought the answer to that would be obvious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh... Ian, what's your answer? Well, J.K. Rowling's not. She's a, she's a complicated lady. Yeah, she's slipped up. I feel like I don't know as well before all that. Yeah, like, is Gen Z not like Harry Potter? I'm, yeah. I don't have an answer to that because I've got a bunch of like we spoke to Alex and we spoke to Che and I was having a Harry Potter moment and I spoke to them about it and they loved it so I just can't answer that. <laughs> I just <laughs> can't answer that. Um, Winnie, can you answer that? No, not exactly. But I wonder whether it's don't look as much as we did because we grew up with those books across. You know, I'm I am like of the quintessential like Harry Potter age. I think you are too, Rosie. We're both thirty now and like. If you were nine when the books first came out and 18, 19, 20 when they finished, you grew up much in parallel with that character and so you identify with it. I think they just have like other 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 characters, other stories that feel feel like they belong to them. We can't expect them to love our stuff in the same way. Matt, where have you got that from? Oh, everywhere. Like there's Twitter, Twitter feed on it, like threads, there's like articles on it, there's like just general like the conversation i think for whatever reason i obviously don't have the answer but it's come to just be one of those things that kind of represents our generation because it was so big 
and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. obvious i think it's just made made a bigger deal of that it probably actually is but it's just one of those things that the next generation can kind of point to and be like we're not that yeah but it's still like if you go on if you're on amazon it's still like the number one audio books are like harry potter books like people are still playing those things i think for their kids for example right so i think those books still have cut through but whether they're culturally seen as cool is a different thing and as you mentioned like the author has managed to upset a lot of people um and like when that becomes like a wrapped up in a political argument it just yeah the whole brand can become quite toxic it, it, very much as is true for um corporations like that's the top stands becomes represents the brand as a whole to to young people right so they can't they don't separate jk rowling from the books or the stories or the world in the same way that maybe a millennial might yeah and also like consumption is like a version of self-expression for them amen and if that's not the value they want to advocate then harry potter can do one Makes sense. And I want to end end this on Harry Potter can do one. (laughs) (laughs) We'll end on a slightly more positive note. So um, I think you've already made this point, Rosie, and you can reinforce it. But um, what should someone who's listening to this, all 12 of them do, um, when it comes to, we're thinking about the challenges when it comes to, like, we need to be more relevant to a younger next generation of customer. What should they do? work hand in hand with your young customer. First, we need to figure out who they are um, and then just invite them in. You know, forget that you're somebody with buckets of experience because what these young people bring is the lived experience and you can only create something that's gonna work as you understand what's going on in their day to day. So yeah, just get 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 down and dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just get into the mud, basically, and into the conversations with them. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I can't. I can't say anything too too dissimilar. Like most conversations that I get into, you know, come in terms of like setting up innovation teams or labs or capabilities, and then you know, getting into like diving into concepts that are are affecting different business units, and and eventually someone has the how do we work with or create a product with or whatever with this generation. And I think exactly to Rosie's point, like don't, don't start with like a Google search. Don't start with like these massive trend reports that like really don't say anything like start by talking to people and getting small actionable insights that you can actually create a very cool, product or offering or service around and then let that organically grow and, and see how it does um, and go from there. And I'm going to give the last word to you, Winnie. Oh man, what an honor. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm maybe uh, summing up what's already been said, but test, learn, iterate daily. Uh, don't be afraid to try things and to try things in public with your community with people who already bought in on your journey, who share your values. Um, your customer really values actually feeling like there isn't a barrier between you and them. Um, and they're very willing and forgiving of kind of how rough things may be around the edges. So don't be afraid to try things, put a bank in 
you know, the metaverse, um, run an event with your customer, um, bring them in on the journey with you, and you'll get to where you want to go faster than being paralyzed by fear um, and missing out on the conversation completely. I love that because I know we say it a lot, but I think telling that story again and again and again is the only thing that's going to give people the confidence to go do it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Also, we could do this. It's also great fun. All I'm going to say is it's actually great fun hanging out with young people. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> don't need to be worried about it. It's just you'll have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Are you still here? Well, you must have enjoyed that. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again on a future episode. Bye-bye.